This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Following episode of Dead Rabbit Radio contains violent and disturbing imagery. Listener discretion is advised. A mysterious radio signal echoes across the ocean. Who or what was behind it? And then we take a look at this saga of Baby X, an unidentified body that was found in a burning barrel. Were these remains put here by a grieving mother who can no longer take care of her child? Or does it point to a more sinister answer that Satan worshippers have infected every level of government? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Garbiner. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys had an awesome Halloween and all these other crazy holidays that are coming up. I heard a little rumor Thanksgiving may be around the corner. Don't tell anyone, but it'll be dope. A bunch of cool holidays coming up, and I hope you guys ate a bunch of candy. There's a listener, he's diabetic, he's like, ah, ah. But other other than you, other than the listeners who have medical problems, I hope everyone else ate a bunch of candy. But speaking of sweetest candy, we got an episode to start. There will be no Patreon pilot. There will be no Patreon pilot this episode because this episode is honestly so disturbing that I didn't want anyone to go, oh man, I don't want to be in that episode. So you're the pilot. You're the captain today. Don't you feel swell? Now, I, I, I mean, honest, the story, second story we're going to talk about is really, really disturbing. And not only is it disturbing, I have to keep referencing uh, the crime. Sometimes I'll tell disturbing episodes, disturbing stories, but this one, because it's just, so that's just a fair warning. Let's go ahead. We're going to hop in the Dead Rabbit Robot. Toss you the oars. We're all going to be, it's going to be a little team effort. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're going to row all the way out. To the Philippines, splishity splash, row that boat, splishity splash, keep rowing that boat. We have a theme song going the whole way. So our arms are sore, our throats, we can't talk, our throats are sore from singing all the way across the ocean. But we're here. We're in the Philippines, specifically we're off the coast of Isla Han Samar. That's a little island floating around. It's January 17th, 1993, and we're kind of kicking back, we're fishing and all of a sudden, the radio goes, sure. <laughs> no, that's not a Muppet. That wasn't a sound of Ernie getting a hold of the controls. And Bert's like, stop it. That was supposed to be the sound. Here, let me try this again. We're sitting, we're listening to the radio. <laughs> we're no longer listening to PBS for kids. We're <laughs> tuning through the radio station. And we hear a... I guess okay, that's a little. The point is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what puppet or Muppet sound was coming out of the radio on January seventeenth, nineteen ninety three. That one was even less human. On January seventeenth, nineteen ninety three. 
off the coast of Isla Hansamar, a radio broadcast hijacked every news station for boats off the coast. And for 17 seconds, there's nothing left but the sound of a man screaming. That for 17 seconds, and then 50% less gonzo on that. I still imagine when I'm screaming, I can still imagine Fozzie Bear running around with his arms in the air. For 17 seconds, they heard the sound of a man screaming, and then all the power went out to every single boat off the coast for about a half hour. An interesting story. I came across this on the Fortean map. We've talked about it a lot on the show. It was one of those, and the Fortean map has these. It was one of those stories that is fairly detailed. We have a date, we have a specific location, and we have the story itself. 17 seconds, the sound was heard, the boats were out a commission for 30 minutes. I could not find any other sources of this story. I love it. If it's true, it's super creepy. I do want to say this is one reason why it's so important to source things for other paranormal researchers out there. It's so important to source things. Because even if the source was, I heard this from my uncle, the person who put together the 40 map, who I've talked to, is a lovely person, but I'm not specifically talking about this, but going, you know, for everyone in the community, cite your sources, because it would be great if we could figure this out. But we can't. We just have this as a source, and the Fortean map has been pretty good to us in the past. So yeah, just a creepy story, and it makes you think, what could it have been? Like the, you have to break it down. First off, the radio signals getting hijacked only on boats. To no other radio is picking it up on land, only on boats. The signal getting hijacked is possible. That's something that can definitely happen. You need a pretty powerful transmitter to hack through everything, but you know you can do it. It's been done in radio. But then you have the man screaming. And that alone, the signal getting hijacked on the boats and the man screaming makes you think someone is being held captive and they're trying to get a message out. And the only thing, I mean, they were in so much terror once they got the equipment working. The only thing they could do was continue to scream where they were like working on the equipment feverishly and they're like hitting buttons. They're turning all the stuff. And then right when they're about to give this detailed message about their location, where they're at, how to rescue them, the bad guys burst through the door and you just hear his screaming. Ah! He knows he's going he's gonna to get dragged back to Sesame Street. That alone is a creepy incident. But then you have the idea, which this is the, that, that's still a super interesting story if that happened and that's plausible. The second part of the story is where you have to go, eh, like, this is why the source, this is why we'd like sources, because the second part of the story is when it becomes fantastical. Someone's screaming over the radio, that's every day, that's your morning commute. But, and then it's spreading to other radio stations, technically can happen, but then... Every boat losing power for the next 30 minutes, which would be chaos, right? In the open seas there, you're flowing around. And you have no, You would think it was just you. You would just, what? That was weird. Someone's screaming. Power goes out. But by the time you got the power restored and you go back to the wharf or the fisherman's hideout or wherever they hang out, 
then you would start comparing notes. Oh, yeah, it sucked. That guy was screaming. Power went out. And then you'd realize that it spread everywhere. That points to a paranormal, like some sort of ghost, like a man who'd been tortured to death and his soul took to the radio. He's like, I always wanted to be a singer. Oh, and that was his last gig before he went to the other side. Or, like, a guy was being abducted by aliens. And that would also cause... See, I, I think alien because of all the power going out. Alien technology interrupting radio signals and shutting off vehicles. That's, like, basic... That's, like, alien tech 101 type things. Uh, ghosts don't normally... <laughs> ghosts will flick your lights and open your doors, they very rarely cut power to your vehicle. And that's an interesting question, though. Could they? If you were trying to outrun a ghost, you're like, whoa, we got away from him. And then you look, and he's hiding under your car. So, yeah, interesting story. I'd love more sourcing on it. It's definitely creepy. And if true, um, another reason never to go into a boat. I hate the water. There is no <laughs> there is no mystery to longtime listeners of the show. I hate water. I hate boats. And now, and now I also hate boat radios. So let's go ahead and toss you the... And this is your last warning because it gets pretty grim from here on out. Let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind the Philippines. Radio is firmly off. We don't want to hear any spookiness. We're flying all the way out to Colombia. On October 25th, 2018, very, very recent story. October 25th, 2018, in the town of Vigia del Ferrete, that's in Antioquia, Colombia, there's a little house. And in this house, it's bedtime. And there's a five-month-old child fast asleep. The next morning, the mother wakes up. And the child is gone. Snatched. Right out of the house. I was recently reading an editorial the LA Times wrote. It was entitled, Halloween Urban Legends Can Do Serious Harm. Why do we still believe them? And I thought, well, that's a really interesting headline. Hopefully the article is just as good. Well, I'm going to dig into it. Maybe it'll have some stuff I could cover on Dead Rabbit Radio. So I started reading this article, and it was a real piece of work. And I, that's not, that's not, I'm not saying that as a compliment. Sarcasm, fully in charge there. It basically stated that it went, it was, basically the gist of it was, Starts off by saying, you know, urban legends, spooky stories that everyone shares at Halloween. You know, the type, the things that your uncles are telling the little kids or the older brothers are telling their siblings. And these stories just carry on and on throughout generations. We've talked a lot about how urban legends are formed on this show. It's one of, I really love studying urban legends and how they develop. And then the editorial board, they're the ones who are writing this opinion piece. They go off on this super weird tangent. And they go, you, speaking of, speaking of which, you want to hear a wacky urban legend, guys? Did you know that some people believe child molesters molest more people during Halloween? Well, let me tell you, dear reader of the LA Times, that's not true. Child molesters don't molest more people on Halloween. That's an urban legend. And I'm reading this and I'm like, what are you talking about? I thought this was going to be about, like, why do we believe stories about the man with the hook in the hand and the, the lover's lane and all? No, it goes on this weird segue saying that 
Child molesters do not molest more children at Halloween. That's an urban legend, according to the... Uh, and I've never heard that urban legend, by the way. I've never heard anyone go, sit around, and you want to hear a creepy story for Halloween? Well, one day I was walking down the street, and a man grabbed me and pulled me in the We're like, what? I've never heard that urban legend. I know that it happens, right? That's a horrible crime, and it happens. But they're saying, in this article about urban legends, they say... We need to stop spending so much time... This is true. This is what the LA Times was saying. We need to stop spending so much time and money monitoring child molesters on Halloween because statistically, child molesters do not molest on Halloween. And then it says that time and money should be used towards... fix. No joke, filling potholes and streetlights. That would be a better use of the city's time than monitoring child molesters on Halloween night. And I read that, and I go, wait, wait, okay. Let's say that they're correct, and child molesters molest less kids. Again, this is, I told you guys, this is a rough one, and we have not even started with the story. Let's take LA Times, because I did, and I was like, that what? So I actually read the study the LA Times was talking about. They're saying that child molestations actually go down on Halloween. My answer to that, call this crazy, but... It doesn't matter when they molest them. They may meet them on Halloween and go, you know, Alexa, save the date. Like, remind me in a week. Because I met all these kids tonight. So the fact that they're they're pro- here, they're probably not molesting a lot of kids on Halloween because they're busy making contacts. So why don't we just continue to spend the law enforcement money? What they do is they it's called Operation Boo. A lot of cities do this. LA does it. And they have parole officers show up. They they drive through neighborhoods and they look at the houses of child molesters. They can't have their lights on. Well, maybe they can't have their light. They're like one candle, sir. I think they can have their lights on, but they can't have candy outside. They can't make their house look welcoming. And the LA Times goes, oh, that's just an urban legend. They're not molesting kids on Halloween. I like how they, they had to keep prefacing, not on Halloween. Like the other 364 days a year, sure. They're total freaks. But not on Halloween. And then, and then it goes into this segue and it's like, you know what? Sometimes these urban legends can get out of control. And when things get out of control, what happens if people just rise up and start enacting violence on the people who these urban legends are about? And I go, yeah, there are a lot of people who want to openly kill child molesters. That's not a secret at all. And they're not waiting for Halloween. And they're not doing it simply because they heard an urban legend that they molest more people on Halloween. Super bizarre article. Super, super bizarre article and a crazy hot take. But then it went into another point. And this is why we're getting to Baby X. It got into this point. After defending the fact that we shouldn't be harassing child molesters on Halloween. You're right. Maybe we should just harass them every day. It said this, hey guys, remember that crazy thing about the satanic panic in the 80s and what a bunch of goofballs those weirdos were? I mean, we knew that was all fake. Who's to say the satanic panic won't happen again today? And I remember I was reading that article and I thought, you know what? This is interesting because we've mentioned it once or twice on the show. It's a topic that I've never really delved into because it is so mainstream. But when I read that topic, I go, that is not settled history. A lot of people like to go, 
you know, Satanic Panic. It was a bunch of fundamentalists. Just crazy people. And that is not settled history. There is law enforcement. There is psychologists. There are victims. And some people who come forward and say they actually took part in these rituals. That's not settled science. Some of it, you're right. Some of it was outrage and fake outrage and things like that. But those are the ones they point to, see. They see these things and they go, look, see, that was totally disproven. So it was all fake. It was all made up. But then we have stories like the story of Baby X. I got most of, ironically, I got most of my information for this story from an amazing article in the Los Angeles Times on May 17th, 1992. So this is very contemporaneous to when the event took place. This article is written by Barry Siegel. Very, very well-written, well-researched article. So thank you, Barry. Your newspaper has taken a slide a bit um, if they are now advocating for fixing potholes instead of policing child molesters. But he wrote this, and I wanted to thank him for that. Let's hop in that carpenter copter. We're leaving behind Columbia. We're headed all the way out to Rupert, Ohio. It's November 17th, 1989, and Rupert, Ohio at the time was one of those highly religious towns. And when I say highly religious, the town had a population of 13,000 people. It had 50 churches. And one-third of the population of the town was practicing Mormon. So it was a very, very religious town. And in the 80s, there was this thing called Satanic Panic. It's perfect because it rhymes. It makes sense because it rhymes. Don't ask questions, right? It was just a panic. I remember, I remember this stuff. In 1989, I don't remember this case specifically, but in 1989, I was 13, and I remember hearing about the satanic panic. My dad was a Southern minister at the time. It was definitely at the forefront of our thoughts that there were Satan worshippers trying to take over the country. And, and I want to say this too, I, I'm using the word Satan worshipper and Satanist and stuff like that as a pejorative and as a catch-all. I'm not talking about, there are, there is the Church of Satan, and that is a organization, and they always go on the record and say, we don't condone any of this stuff. I'm not talking about when I'm saying Satanist and Saint worshiper. I'm not talking about the Church of Satan type of thing. But I'm talking about what you picture as a Satanist, as the weirdos in the woods type of thing that engage in child abuse and, and human sacrifice and things like that. And that's what the Satanic Panic was all about, was these Satan worshipers. But on November 17th, 1989, in Rupert, Ohio, in the Minidoka County Landfill, there's a metal barrel sitting there. And this landfill, people were constantly driving their ATVs by. And people would see this barrel, weren't thinking anything of it. One person thought it was like a dryer can left there. One person did stop by looking, and it looked like there was a monkey, a little monkey in it. A little burned out monkey, but he didn't think anything of it. I mean, I would be super curious if I found a monkey burned or not. But eventually, someone did stumble across it and realize that it was worth notifying the authorities. It was the body of a three-week-old infant. Her body had been burned, but there was still a little fragment of cloth draped over her shoulder. When they're doing the autopsy, they could tell that she had been dead before she'd been set on fire, which was a small blessing. Because the other things that happened to her while she was still alive was horrific. She'd been disemboweled before she died. 
Most of her organs were removed. All that was left was her lungs and a piece of her heart. Both her feet were missing, and her left arm appeared to have been torn off. The missing body parts were never found. And to this day, the baby has never been identified. It has gone by the name Baby X. So you have this in the height of the satanic panic. You have this burned baby with missing body parts, and it's been disemboweled. And the locals absolutely lose it. First off, you're th- first off, you're not even thinking the satanic thing. You're thinking, did this baby go missing from somewhere? Was it kidnapped? But the police check the missing people reports. There's no missing babies. They're visiting at local hospitals. They're trying to find mothers who'd recently given birth, and they're not able to get any leads on who Baby X is and who did this to her. And the panic is moving through the town. Truly a panic, right? You would be afraid that that would happen to your child or even just anyone's child, the fact that it happened at all. Now, they, as they're doing the autopsy, they also can tell this child had pneumonia when she died. So some people are going, well, maybe she just died of pneumonia and there was a mother who freaked out about the whole thing and she wanted to get rid of the baby. And the mother, not knowing what to do, takes the baby out to this landfill, puts it in a barrel, and lights it on fire. Townspeople go, yeah, maybe. But maybe it's something darker than that. Shortly after the body is found, and the entire town, really the entire state, is up in arms, and this becomes a national news story, but shortly after the body is found, there's a letter that's postmarked from eastern Idaho. Police get this letter, and they never release it. They decide to go, you know what, we're not going to say. It's probably just a crank, right? Or just some weirdo wrote this letter. And people were still trying to figure out what was going on. Mostly they were thinking serial killer. That was kind of the general consensus. But you did have a contingent of people going, maybe there's something darker going on. Maybe this is this satanic worshiping conspiracy we've been hearing so much about. In 19, a couple months after it happened... There's a boy named Timothy, he's a nine-year-old boy, and he's currently being treated as a sexual child abuse victim by a psychologist. And this is when the story takes an incredibly sinister turn. He begins to talk about ritualistic satanic abuse. Let me read you some of these quotes here. They put me on a table with a Bible. The devil is there. They pray to the devil. The devil makes these people hurt me. They hurt me so bad. They hurt me in the private parts. They sacrifice all animals. They even sacrifice babies. Timothy is making these allegations, and he actually names his own mother and father in being complicit in these satanic ceremonies. The family that Timothy is a part of, even though they don't give Timothy's name, they do give the name of his parents. They keep talking about his dad. They are from a very backward part of Rupert, very, very impoverished family. And so the dad's like saying, I don't know where my son's getting this. I am definitely not a saint worshiper. And the town is terrified. Now, child services, they don't know what to make of this. They actually are trying to get Timothy removed from the home because they go... (laughs) They may be involved in a murderous cult. We don't know. 
And they were stymied at every corner. They were not allowed to remove the son from the household. So that's going on. And now the satanic panic is in full swing in Rupert. Everyone's going around believing that these saint worshippers are controlling everything. Because they can't get this kid removed. That's one of the allegations going on. That it's not just some saint worshippers in the middle of nowhere. These people have infested the highest levers of Rupert's society. Judges are dismissing charges. Actually, one thing they thought was super weird was the townspeople really had to lean on the police to open any sort of investigation. You, of course, had officers that were like, yeah, we think Baby X may have been a murder. But to get stuff officially done, everyone was dragging their feet. Everyone was going out. It's probably just pneumonia. And then, you know, wolves, you know, natural predators got the hold of the rest of it. Just investigate it. Well, you know, it's probably just pneumonia. It's probably just in a barrel. If it was really some sane thing, you think they'd put it in a barrel? And so they were really dragging their feet, and that was making people even more suspicious. And then on September 13th, 1991, the letter that the police got shortly after the baby was found is printed in the South Idaho Press. This letter is written by an anonymous person. And it is the first real theory that this... Because remember, this they got this letter shortly after the baby was found. And this was putting it clearly in, this was a satanic ritual. And I know because I've been a member of satanic rituals. And it said, back in the year 1975, I actually took part in similar rituals. I will not tell you my name because it will... I'll probably lose my job, and I'll probably get my head chopped off, and my family will be in danger as well. Then he goes on to say, listen, I know you're scouring the hospitals looking for the mother. Stop. You're not going to find the mother in a hospital. That's not how this operation works. And then the letter goes on to say, quote, know that in many cases, women were used as breeders for the seed of Satan. Many times, due to the amount of drugs used to keep them in line, the babies are born severely mentally disabled. Many made only mewing sounds. Babies were born in the compound and no records were ever kept. Many times the mothers only lived in a nightmare world and cannot tell you about their child or believe it was all dreams. Unquote. And the police sat on that. They got that letter and it's sensational, obviously, right? And they go, "Eh, that's probably just some crackpot thing. But then two years later, in 1991, it gets published, which just throws more fuel on the fire. And it fuels more fuel on the fire that they're covering it up. Because at this point, remember, this crime happened back, what was it, November 1989. We're now September 13th, 1991. There's been no progress made on the case. You can't identify the baby. You can't identify the mother. Like, if they had found something in the meantime, it would have made everything, oh, maybe it wasn't a money, we were able to find the mother, she was a grieving mom, da-da-da-da-da. No, there's been no movement on the case. People are digging their heels in and not wanting to investigate the case. And then it turns out shortly after the body was found, some, and again, is the letter true? We don't know. But it doesn't help that people were thinking it was saint worshiping, the police were saying it's not, and then it turns out that they did get a letter saying that it may be. And they sat on it. In the end, after years of investigations and people like, yeah, maybe we should kind of have an official thing. No one was ever charged with anything. 
The mother was never identified. The baby was never identified. They did name her Christina Angelica James. And they gave her a little tombstone. Like, I mean, that is... I mean, if you're going to get that, that's the least they could do, right? But it's not enough. Who did this? The official answer? Pneumonia. That was the official answer that the city went with. Police investigators said it was a baby. This is what happened. They have no proof of this, but they'll say this is what happened. The baby got pneumonia and died. And the mother didn't know what to do. It was really the the explanation they were peddling early on in the investigation. They go, the baby got pneumonia and died. Mother didn't know what to do. Dumped the baby. Every other injury was predator-related. Who burned it? The mom, right? Some Sometimes they go, maybe she he wasn't burned. Maybe he just had some skin missing and it looked like it was burned. So that was their official conclusion. Maybe it wasn't even burned. Maybe it was just all predators. Predators all the way down. And you could look at that and you could go, well, Jason, that is rational. And that's something you talk about on this show. Sometimes you have to take the rational answer, even if it's not the cool answer or the creepy answer or whatever. And that's true. That's true. And so is this just another case of satanic panic? Is this Does this case actually show that maybe it is settled, Jason? Maybe that this story shows that it is settled history. You had a town that believed it was satanic. They started to see saint worshippers on all levels of society. They just needed to trust the facts. They had trust the facts. They would have known early on that it was pneumonia. But they let satanic panic take hold of the town. Doesn't this kind of show your point that sometimes these things get out of hand? October 25th, 2018. We're in... Vigia del Ferrete, that's in Antioquia, Colombia. A five-month-old child is snatched out of his house in the middle of the night. Truly a mother's nightmare. Any, any parent's nightmare. An uncle's nightmare. Horrifying. Somebody comes into your house and takes a child. The next day, though, a little baby's found. He's found in the forest surrounding this little town. He's found. This little boy is okay. Now, how he got out of the house, they don't know. How he ended up so far away, you know. But it's a miracle. You're not asking questions. October 26, 2018. One day later. The boy is snatched out of his house. Again. And this time when they find him, his, this five-year-old child was beheaded and disemboweled. This little boy's heart and intestines were ripped out of his body. And one of his arms was torn off as well. Everyone in town is outraged at this inhuman act. And some of them believe that this is the work of a madman. I mean, who who else but an insane person could do this to a child or to anybody? Some of the townspeople believe it's something darker than that. It was a supernatural force. Maybe working with a human, maybe working alone. But this savagery goes beyond humans. This had to be something far more evil. Local law enforcement says, oh, this was the work of a predator. 
Obviously, what happened to this child, after its head had been removed, it's been disemboweled, and its arm is missing, and it was snatched out of the same house twice. This was clearly the work of some sort of predator in the jungle, some sort of beast. Make sure to lock your doors and windows, but be well aware that the local police department here in town will keep looking for the answer. And that's actually how the article ends, this article from 2018. The investigation is ongoing and no arrests are believed to have been made. Unquote. That is how an article in 2018 ends. As far as the government's concerned, case closed. Panther got in to the house twice. One time didn't kill the baby. One time did. Chopped its head off. It's kind of hard for a uh, panther or a jaguar to do. But don't worry, people. Just the predator. Now, I could point out the similarities between the death of this child in Colombia and the death of Baby X. They will continue to tell us not to worry that everything is under control. The question we have is whose control? I do think they exist. I do think they exist, and I do think they wield a lot of power. And I think they especially wield a lot of power in small towns, where you can easily take control of a city council with four votes, four to three. Everything you want gets passed. To run a town, you have a city council, usually like seven people. You get four people on that city... If you got three people on that city council in your pocket, you're already going to have a really good time. But if you could get all four, everything you want is passed. And I'm not saying they're going to start passing like baby-burning ordinances. Not everything that the saint worshippers do has to be super evil, but they're just consolidating their power. Really, all you would need is at least one officer, one police officer, preferably like the chief of police. But there are towns where the Chamber of Commerce runs the town. And the police just do what the Chamber of Commerce says. And the mayor just kind of, you know. And they run the town. Now, no one thinks about that when they're electing who's going to be in the Chamber of Commerce. You elect this person, you're elected... No, no, they don't run it. The Chamber of Commerce runs the town. That, that's very common in small towns in America. So you don't need everyone. If you had the mayor, and you had the chief of police, and you had the coroner, and you had... Yeah, that's even better if you're taking notes saying we're, we're trying to conquer the world. But you don't need everyone. And I'm going to tell you right now, because I've done a lot of research into Satanism. To me, it's such a basic topic. I don't talk about it much on this show. I've done a ton of research on Satanism and Satan worshippers. What's interesting is I can tell you, and this will probably almost be a bonus segment. We're going to go long in this episode. I can tell you how people get sucked into these things. Because you here, here's the thing. If someone walked up to you and said... Would you like to burn a baby today? I hope I hope that I see you in the news because you beat that guy up, right? I just think that I would hope that would happen. Maybe push him at least. Give him a good shove if you don't want to go to jail. But I mean, if you're in Yellowstone Park and you happen to shove him into, into a geyser, that is fine with me. So, but what you do is you seek people who want power. You're not going to go to the local elementary school teacher and ask, how would you like to join a satanic coven? You're going to look for people who are power-driven and are sick. Because, again, you may have someone who's a local politician who wants to be a state senator and stuff like that. But if they have a certain moral compass, 
they will eventually go, no, I'm not comfortable doing that. Because it, it doesn't start with the burning baby. That's the thing. It's always it's an escalation. And you go, Jason, how in the world do you escalate from not burning babies to burning them? It's a matter of degrees. That's not a joke. This wasn't a, that wasn't a temperature joke. It's a matter of degrees. When someone comes to you and talks about their religion, any religion, they don't start off with the goofiest stuff. They don't start off with the weirdest stuff. If I walk up to someone and want to start talking about the message of Jesus Christ, I'm not going to tell them the story of Mad, Adshak, Matchak, and Abednego, or whatever those dudes were, who were like thrown into a cage full of lions, or they were set on fire, or both, and they didn't get killed. You want you want to know more about Jesus? People are like, what? That's weird. It's like, oh yeah, there's that time Jesus walked on water, and they're like, huh? That guy got swallowed by that fish, and they're like, are you sure you're just not telling the plot of Pinocchio? I was like, no, no. And then Jesus told a thousand lies, and his nose grew all the way up to heaven. No, you you start off with the important stuff, right? The good stuff. Jesus died for your sins. That's pretty. He comes back to life. I'm not saying that it all makes sense, right? I believe it. But it doesn't all make sense. People can be skeptical about it. But you don't start. There's even weirder things in the Bible. So when you're trying to incorporate someone into your satanic coven, you don't start off. You probably don't even use the word satanic coven. First off, this guy's just hanging out with you. You find someone who wants power. You can sense it in them. You, you can really sense people who are driven. You sense it in them, and he has something you want. He may have a position you want, or he may have, have access to the funds you want. Any cult worth their salt does this. You can find cults all over the world. The first thing they do is they take all the money from people, but you can't take money from poor people. That's why a lot of cults don't recruit poor people. They want that cash. So a Satan worshiping group, this type of group, would do the same thing, but for power. They're looking for people with power. They have access to the money. They already have a guy working in the bank. They already have a guy working in this loan company. Right now they're trying to take over this town, and they see you. And they want you to join their organization. You're like, Jason, I never would do that. This is a horrific story. I never want to be at something that happens like Baby X. This is awful. But again, they don't start off there. They'll first make sure that you're just kind of a good person. Again, when I say good, when I say good in this context, bad, right? They want someone who's super disgusting, but they may start off by just slowly seeing what your comfort level is, right? With making disgusting off-color jokes, which, I mean, everybody does that. But but, uh, but saint worshippers would be particularly disgusting, and they're judge they're constantly playing this game with you. They're seeing what your limits are and how much you're willing to do for power. They we see this a lot in Hollywood too. But instead of satanic abuse, it's sex abuse. We get these young men and women who want to be pop superstars, where the agent or manager, whoever will be, will be like, Hey, you have a meeting. You have a meeting, and you gotta meet with this guy, and you go in there, and the manager puts his hand on your knee. And do you pull away? Your 16-year-old girl, guy. This happened to Backstreet Boys, actually. It was a huge story. The Backstreet Boys were all sexually molested by their manager. What was it? Lou Pearlman? Ron Pearlman? It was not Ron Pearlman. He's a, he, he did not do that. That's another I think it was Lou Pearlman. Um, it was, again, you don't walk in and, and Lou Pearlman is naked. For, you put your hand on the knee, you test it. And if the kid gets up and be like, I don't want this, then that kid's career is over. Nobody ever starts the career off with a dick in their mouth, basically. And if you asked any of those kids, hey, you can be a big pop superstar, but you got to blow this dude, this big, ugly dude, 
Would you, would it matter if he was hot? I guess probably not. But would you do it? And they'd a person would go, no, I wouldn't do that. But by the time the dick's in your mouth, you've crossed. You've made so many deals with the devil. And that's why when musicians and you'll see entertainment people go, like Katy Perry goes, I made a deal with the devil. And people go, oh, she's admitting that she made a deal with the devil. That's not literally what she's saying. She sold out so many times. She was a Christian singer when she started. And then she goes, oh, I'm just pop. I'll do pop music and sing the song about kissing girls and stuff like that. And, you know, that you sell your soul for fame, right? She became a sex symbol. And maybe she didn't want to become a sex symbol. Maybe she just wanted to play the piano and sing beautiful songs, but she wanted that fame. So you never start your career with a dick in your mouth. And in the saint worshiping thing, you never start by burning the baby. It's a matter of degrees. I remember once a long time ago, I can't find it again. I can't find it again. And part of me is probably thankful for that. I found this document written by, it was like this Satanist was on his deathbed. And he was based out, I think it was based out of Australia. And he wrote this long, you know, it's interesting with saint worshippers when they do believe that they sold their soul to Satan and they, they are in constant fear of going to hell and, you know, eternal damnation a lot of them will talk about trying to gain god's trust again and and try to uh, regain their soul and they always talk about these horrible nightmares they suffer when they're in that process and the nightmares are god telling them you've already done so much evil stuff i'll never forgive you for what you did and that was kind of the gist of this guy's letter was saying like i'm trying to to talk to God and God won't talk to me, which that's a satanic illusion, right? That That's a satanic illusion. Obviously, God's going to forgive this dude, but he's just f full of fear. But I remember, I remember in this letter he wrote, he wrote a line, I've never forgotten it, which is ironic because of what the line's about. He was talking about this, how you slowly get indoctrinated into this lifestyle where you just become more and more powerful and you keep doing more and more brutal things and you get more and more powerful. He said he was at the ceremony once and he saw who'd already he'd already this guy was the top level of his profession. According to him, right? The whole thing could be fake, but according to him, he's the top level of his profession. He was incredibly wealthy. He had done and seen horrible things through this rise of power. He's part of this satanic cult, and he remembers this out of everything. He said that he saw a infant crucified. A little, little cross and a little baby crucified on it. And then he was instructed... To kill the baby. To kill this baby strapped to this cross. And he said, I, I haven't read this article in probably 15, 20 years, but I remember this quote, quote, you will never, ever forget kicking a baby to death. I do believe these groups exist, and I do believe that there are monsters out there who would join these groups to become more powerful. They don't know in the beginning that they're going to be standing around a barrel as an infant's body is burning. They don't know that in the beginning. But they know it now. And all the townspeople who are standing around watching that child burn, they knew that night this was not the end. This was only just another grisly sacrifice they were making to a dark god. 
For us, the story of Baby X ends inconclusively. But for the members of this cult, they're still in power. They're still protected. And they're still out there. Or is this all just an urban legend? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.